Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. And welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dudley Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture's Review. Everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0, pay-per-views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week completes with a bloody good quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Sidgwick to review last night's Dynamite, a show that I think it's fair to say was a bit all over the place. Divisive is another word for mm. this because I didn't really like it on the whole. I liked some elements of it, but as a viewing experience for two hours, I'm going to be very pedantic on this podcast, so you'll have to bear with me. Yeah, I just didn't really feel it as a great... There's a certain tier of Dynamite episodes. There's all-timers. They happen with just awesome frequency. There are merely excellent shows. And then there are no disasters. There are very, very few average ones. And there are a few that just seem to split opinion. Um, but weirdly, like, I, it might just be my timeline, but it was kind of unanimously thought of as a really great show. And I just... I don't think it was. Mm, I think that's fair. I think, uh, obviously, we're grading on a curve here, the AW curve, very different to the Monday Night Owl yes. curve that we often use. But, yeah, I, I enjoyed it, but I'm not going to go back and probably watch anything from this show, which I think is a bit of an indictment of it. And, yeah, it was surreal to log on to Twitter this morning after watching that and going, eh, like, I enjoyed it, but meh. Yeah. It's and then see people heaping praise on it. A lot of people were very effusive in their praise, as I most often yeah. am. So, you know, for any new listeners, this generally tends to skew very positive, this um, podcast, as does my book, Becoming <laughs> I was All about Elite. to try and, try and crowbar a thing in there about, like, well, we'll talk about the booking in a second, but that's a far better segment you did. Go on, sorry. Yeah, you've ruined it now. <laughs> I have written 120,000 extremely passionate and insightful words all about the formation of All Elite Wrestling the two-year span that we've experienced of it so far and all of the factors that converge to make it possible. It is entitled Becoming All Elite, The Rise of AEW. You can order it, pre-order it rather, right now at whatculture.bigcartel.com. Signed and unsigned copies of the book are available. I really enjoyed writing it. 
in the editing process, I don't want to, you know, stroke my own cack. <laughs> but I generally thought, you know what, I've written something pretty damn great here. Yeah. Um, so you should pre-order it right now. Press pause, pre-order the book, and then come back and listen to this podcast, which isn't quite as enthusiastic, balanced enthusiastic. Yes. But, um, yeah, this episode just didn't really... There were great moments very in high it. standards for AW. I think yeah, that's a, especially best. Dynamite more so than Rampage. Yeah, that's the most succinct way of putting it. It fell short of my pretty astronomic expectations. Yes. There were elements that I really enjoyed, and we'll get into it. Yeah, let's dive in. Uh, at the start of the show, a uh, nice note from Excalibur uh, mentioning John Moxley, uh, saying AW are fully in support of him. They're fully behind him. Uh, thinking of him during this difficult time, as we all are here, I should say, at What Culture. Um, you know, just a really bad news to to break on what was it Tuesday night on social media, I think it was, and you see the outpouring of support to Mox and to know what he means to not just wrestlers but fans uh, around the world. Uh, anyway, the show started with Kenny Omega, who was never really recovered uh, in AEW from that slightly long match they had against Alan Angels. Uh, a while back. He was facing him again here. Let's see if he can fix his bloody career in the eyes of what they call bad faith actors, you call them. Bad faith actors. Anyway. Um, or just idiots. Yeah, that's fair. So uh, they referenced the fact that they fought before and, and Alan Angels was raring to go at the start of this. He fired straight out of the corner, drop kicks Kenny Omega, uh, just unloads on him. Kenny Omega eventually fights back because, well, he's Kenny Omega. Um, he is dominating... Uh, he goes for a V-trigger, but Alan Angels has, you know, he's got experience in the ring with this guy. Avoids it, rolls Omega up, gets a near fall. Omega goes to the outside. Alan Angels follows him with a great suicide dive as well. But Omega looks like he's got the match back in control as they're out on the floor. And then suddenly Angels hits a bloody moonsault and a top rope crossbody on the outside to a huge pap. Tries to go for a frog splash, but Omega gets the knees up. He gets Angels up for a one-wing angel. Gets a nice roll-up as well there for another great near fall. Then gets V-triggered, but kicks out, mirroring obviously what happened the last time they faced each other. And Kenny Omega went, oh, he kicked out one, did you? Let's see if he can kick out a couple more. Just twats him as hard as he can with V-triggers to get the victory. Post-match, he gets on the mic and thanks Angels for ruining his career. Gets Nakazawa to chuck him a chair. He's going to one-winged Angel Angels onto the chair. But out comes Hangman Page for the save. Walks down, he uh, flips in, goes to the bookshot lariat, but Omega dodges it and gets out of dodge. Um, but he's left the belt behind, and Hangman Page says, well, I think you've forgotten something here, Kenny, but here you are. I want you to hold on to it tight. You've only got nine days plus one left. <laughs> he said he got ten days left, but I want to get Tony Connie pressed in there. Uh, what did you make of the opener? Conflicted thoughts. I thought, as an individual performance, I'm not saying Alan Angels was in any way bad in this match. He performed his role in it very well. Mm. Kenny Omega, individual performance-wise, was fantastic in this very short match because he extracted drama and suspense where he had no real right to. And it's not just, right, I'll kick out a 2.9 and give him something. Like, Kenny Omega's work is so much better than that. It's the way he takes certain bumps mm. really informs the resulting near fall. Like, he took a dive to the outside you didn't do that thing where you hold your arms out and you kind of crumple at the same time as you bump. He just took a flat back and looked absolutely <laughs> yeah. awesome. Um, some of the other bumps he took were, like, really committed, like, full-on, like a light switch. It looked so impactful, his work. 
And when he does the 2.9 kick out, he doesn't just kick out a 2.9. If you watch Kenny Omega closely, when he's working against someone um, way down the tier list of um, credible opponents, he always makes them look awesome. He always makes a very predictable outcome doubtful. His flailing of the legs when he looks like he's trying to kick out the entire time the ref's doing the count and then does it at the very last second. Like I generally thought on two separate occasions against all my rational yeah. thoughts that Alan Angels was going to beat him. <laughs> yeah. So I really like that in isolation. We know how AEW operates at this point. Sometimes it's really great in how it preserves the big matches. Other times, increasingly, it's starting to feel a little bit like a formulaic obligation Wrestler fights stablemate or loose associate of rival, summons rival when yeah there's some kind of post-match beatdown going on. Um, so I knew what was coming. I knew what to expect. This is all pretty damn great. An over-delivery on the dynamic. And I really like how the continuity is just rewarded. This is the sort of stuff that really preserves and enriches people's investment. But this story, and I can't blame it for not being told because they've told possibly my favorite wrestling story ever, but I just feel like I'm ready for full gear now. Yeah. There's no other angle or match that you can do that would get me any more high on it. It's not a diminished return, but it's just the sort of woodwork that you have to do to get people to buy the pay-per-view and I've been ready to buy Kenny Omega versus Hangman Page for at least a calendar year. Yeah, really looking forward to that match. Uh, like you say, I'm already there when it comes to full gear and, and this match in particular. Um, but in terms of, uh, this is going to sound like a real backhander compliment, filler for that feud, I thought this was fine. Like you say, I enjoyed the match. I enjoyed Kenny Omega, you know, them not coming together, them not, you know, coming to blows, him just being like, oh, you know, I need to get out of the way of this bookshot lariat. And then obviously, you know, the same will apply to Hangman Page and the One Winged Angel. Lovely moment of symmetry with that particular move. At Full Gear 2020, at the finishing sequence, the match was like really competitively worked as you'd expect it to be. There was a moment where Kenny Omega ducked the bookshot by a, like, like a centimeter, two centimeters. It was awesome. A proper heart and mouth spot. But because he failed, Hangman Page didn't realize you didn't fail, you were just so close. Yeah. And the fact that that was mirrored in this angle tonight, except you had the belief this time, was just like a really wonderful um, visual mirroring of like the two, the, like the duality of the Hangman Page character. The, the from, sliding doors moment almost. Yeah, from anxiety to total belief yeah. now. It's just awesome to see. Um, if, I could, if I had a time machine, I was just thinking about this then. If I had a time machine, I could go back and change one thing in AEW history. I don't think it would be the ending to that barbed wire exploding deathmatch match. It would be just fucking sell Kenny Omega not catching Hangman Page on commentary. It's the, one of the yeah. most frustrating things for me in, in AEW history, that more so than, you know, a botched explosion or whatever else people might point to. It's just, ah, oh, it's infuriating. And hopefully they can, you know, work around that because, they I mean, they've got enough to bloody work with the build for this. But yeah. it just, yeah, it should have been, it should have been done, shouldn't it, last year? It should have been. It should have been. But if you look at the reactions that this storyline has been getting since they've resumed yeah. live touring, it's, 
Yeah, I would change the explosion, personally. <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, we get a promo from Malachi Black. He says that Longbone Tone has uh, banned him from ringside for the Cody uh, Andrade El Idolo match, but it's not going to change the outcome of that. Uh, when they assassinated Caesar, it wasn't just Marcus that betrayed him. That was a nice tease. I like that line a lot. Uh, then CM Punk comes out and cuts a promo. Uh, it's not the CM Punk we are used to seeing in terms of you know diving into the crowd if he's not wrestling and just having a great time with the fans. Look, he's, he comes out, he says, I'm not in the best moods right now. If you wouldn't mind, I'd just like to talk to you guys seriously for a few minutes. There are two people who aren't here at Dynamite tonight. One is for a very legitimate reason, and that guy is John Moxley. John Moxley obviously gets a chant from the crowd. He says that he knows what it feels like to try and, you know, keep, just keep going, power through, disregard everything your body's screaming at you, uh, go through everything and just try and be a, a tough guy and what have you. But he says he's proud of Moxley. I thought it was just a lovely moment. Uh, there's nothing wrong with asking for help if you need it. And anyone out there who needs help, text someone, call someone, speak to someone, get that help you need. And then he transitions his focus to Eddie Kingston, who's also not here tonight. And the fans chant full gear. That's where they want this match. And he says, yeah, I know you'd like to see that of full gear, but I, d I don't know what's going on with Eddie. I don't know if this is some kind of fake beef from years ago. But look, if Eddie's got the balls, Punk's got the time. Never mind about full gear He's going to be in St. Louis. St. Louis? St. Louis. St. Louis. St. Louis. I like you working out. Yeah. He's going to be wherever Rampage is this Friday to accept Kingston's apology uh, for interrupting him, of course, on Rampage last week. Um, and he's going to... He's in Missouri. Yes. He's I probably gonna... butchered that as well. Missouri. Yeah. Uh, he says he's going to leave us with this. Uh, Moxley opened up a spot in this AW Eliminator tournament, and he was going to fill that had he been able to deal with this issue with Kingston. But now we're not going to get CM Punk versus Orange Cassidy or CM Punk versus Brian Danielson. It's Eddie's fault because he thinks he's someone. And on Friday, he's going to find out who he thinks he is. What did you make of all this? Tricky to get the... Reality bleeding into the fiction, but I thought he did a tremendous job tight of that. Rope, wasn't it? Yeah, total tightrope. Um, thought he handled it as well as he possibly could. I just want to praise more so than the promo, which was just a really nice moment, as you said. Um, I want to praise AEW's handling of the entire situation. They've been transparent about it. They've been incredibly supportive of um, John Moxley and his family and friends throughout. There are certain complete arseholes on Twitter and who've been involved in wrestling, who I'm not going to mention by name, but previously in professional wrestling, this would be like, heat, storyline, reality, we reflect society, so let's, you know, get him on the Titantron. You know, like, let's have him work as a drunk. Like, we've moved on. It's so much better that we've moved on. Um, and I just think it was so wonderful for Punk specifically to yeah. cut this promo because it was just symbolic of the fact that, no, we have moved on. CM Punk isn't going to turn heel and admonish, you know, as the straight-edge saviour of old. He's not going to admonish John Moxley for having a problem and get heat on him or anything like that. What rubbish fantasy booking that is. Like, we are so past that. Um, we can tell stories now, or AEW can certainly tell stories now that just transcend any of the really grabby, corny, like putrid bollocks of old. Um, so I was really happy that he, in fact, delivered this message. Um, and it was really eloquent, eloquently and emotionally told. I'm bang up for the uh, confrontation. On Friday, all of this was one of the highlights of a show that yeah, I okay. didn't really love overall. 
no, well, we're going to get something essentially you and I probably didn't like a lot either in a second. Before that, uh, a great promo from Miro. He is wondering whether his god is looking down in fear as Miro looks up in anger. The, oh, the whoever... Yeah, it was probably Miro. It's Miro? Yeah, I was going to say, it's whoever writes this stuff. It's Miro, because uh, this is AEW. Uh, he says, God needs to prove himself to me, effectively. Uh, his road home to his wife is clear now. It's going to be paved, Michael Sidgwick, with skulls of those who stand in front of him. He will be champion. He will be loved. This was effectively saying, he's going to be the one replacing Moxley in the tournament, and I couldn't be happier. Uh, yeah, I didn't really want to give it much consideration yesterday, but in retrospect... Great choice. Um, you get someone who could convincingly kill Orange Cassidy within minutes, much like Moxley was scheduled to do. You got someone who, it's one of those where if he was in the Eliminator and just won it and that was the original plan, I wouldn't have been happy because it's flirting with the awful concept of failing upwards yeah. and not selling the gravity of the defeat. Um, but, you know, under these circumstances, perfect replacement. Um, spoiler alert. Miro wins this one. So <laughs> that match should be fantastic. Yeah, it is. It's suddenly from out of nowhere has become, I mean, Moxley, obviously Danielson would have been a match of the night contender, but absolutely. It's it's certainly not one of those where you're like, cool, warm body to be beaten up by Brian Danielson on the way to his inevitable win because Moxley's no longer there. I just, I still can't call it now with, with Miro being inserted into that. And uh, it works both ways. Even if, I don't know why this would happen, but even if, you somehow had Omega Page first. Whoever wins that, I'd like if Page wins, for example. I don't know why this would be earlier on the night, like I say, but I don't go. Oh, cool! So it'll be Miro because he's a heel. Because I'm like Danielson's a pretty bad guy with what he's been doing recently. So you know, I, I'm so so excited for that, and we'll, we'll talk more about it in the main event. You know, I don't want to call it a blessing in disguise because it's it's you know very contentious issue obviously everything with Mox but like you say in terms of a way to correct a very things, good compromise exactly. is the best way to put it yeah uh, right let's go on something that you and I both really disliked from Dynamite this week and people probably quite enjoyed there's the super click they're backstage with, with Marvez uh, Cole says last week's shenanigans they were all a bloody fluke it'll never happen again uh, Nick Jackson says, we're tough guys. We're not afraid of anyone. And then here comes Christian Cage. He is back. He puts his arm on the shoulder. And Matt Jackson goes, come on. Come on, buddy. Come on. There's three of us. There's one of you. Think twice. Think it through. And then who should come in? But Luchasaurus on the other side to grab another shoulder. Uh, and they all fake leaving and you know running away with their tails between their legs. Turn around, attack. Big brawl breaks out. Luchasaurus gets low blowed. It looks like the super click again are going to cut corners and stand tall. Uh, they send Luchasaurus into the barricade. Cutler's there. He's been hiding behind Marvez. I like the fact that they said there's three of us and one of you. There's four. Cutler's there, but it doesn't really count for them. He sprays them, and then out comes, out of nowhere, Jungle Boy flying off the stage onto everyone. Uh, Christian spears Matt Jackson on the stage. He goes for the kill switch, uh, but turns around into a super kick from Nick Jackson. And then uh, Adam Cole's crawling out the tunnel because Luchasaurus has murdered him, apparently. Uh, Jungle Boy comes in with a Hurricane Rana, sending Matt down the ramp. Uh, Luchasaurus gets Nick, choke slams him onto the back of Adam Cole, uh, who then gets put in the snare trap by Jungle Boy, and he sort of taps out, and he sort of just flails around a little bit, and Christian gets two chairs, and bloody concertos Adam Cole. Explain why you weren't a fan of this. 
if I hadn't seen or they hadn't promoted the lineup for Rampage, I'd have watched this. Genuinely, I'm going to put like an old school head on because sometimes you need to put it on. I would have thought, oh, they've written off um, Adam Cole for the foreseeable future. Like there's, why concerto him 48 hours removed from a match that was, again, advertised later in the night? And, and to add to that, what we said we were talking about this in the office earlier, you just put Jungle Boy off a stage through a table. Give him a week off. Yeah, I mean, I'm not one of these knackers who will, in bad faith, tell you that professional wrestling used to be incredibly realistic and this new generation of gymnast spot monkeys has ruined everything. Because <laughs> it's a load of bollocks. Like, yeah, Jerry Lawler threw an absolutely incredible work and punch, but... If it was that good, if it were real, the person would be on the floor. Yes. <laughs> like, he wouldn't be able to do these absolute, like, barrages that he used to do. Like, the person would be... Like, it's always been... If you screw... Like, the reason why pro wrestling exists in this sphere where everyone listening to this has had this, like, why do you watch that? Mm. Because they look at a Jerry Lawler spot and think, well, has he got no black eye? Like, why has he not been knocked down to the mat? Just as much as they'll see spam super kicks and think... Well, hang on, how have you not been put? It's all the same. Yeah. It's all, if you are even more pedantic than myself, which literally every non-fan is, it's all a little bollocks. But it has to mean something at some point, particularly with something as viscerally um, unsettling as the concerto. Mm. Why do that when you know he's working two nights later? It just... And he's been had someone choke slammed on his back, and he's been snare trapped, and he, like it felt like the snare trap. You're like, okay, cool, he's, snare, he's been snare trapped, job done. And then it was like we need to do I something mean, else. Unless Silver's going over, but one that makes no sense given that Christian Cage versus Adam Cole is the direction for full gear. Um, one that doesn't exactly babyface John Silver going up against a weakened opponent. Why did they do this now? I, I genuinely was baffled at how kind of stupid this was. Yeah, I just feel like, all right, if you want to bring Jungle Boy back, fine, to even the numbers. That makes a lot of sense, because Cutler doesn't count, as they said. But have him do all the stuff, flipping off the stage and Hurricane Rana and people, but in, just say, no concerto, no snare trap, you choke slam one of the young books onto Adam Cole's back, he's wobbled, obviously he's just had his ass kicked by a Luchasaurus, he gets up, he stares straight into the eyes of Christian Cage, who immediately kill switches him <laughs> on the stage. That's just, it's exactly the same build uh, as you could need for, for full gear. It's just so odd. I just, uh, the lost me entirely here. Yeah, same here. Uh, right, we get a video package uh, teasing. Ruby Soho versus Chris Statlander. <sighs> it's going to be tasty, that, um, in the TBS uh, title tournament, of course. Um Soho is nervous but confident. Statlander wants the gold. This is all about respect. It was a nice sort of back and forth between the two of them. Uh, and then we get the AAA Tag Team Championships match. We teased this yesterday. Uh, it was an open challenge FTR put out there, and it was answered by uh, Aerostar and Samurai Del Sol, better known, of course, as Kalisto in WWE. Lucha things. Good lucha things uh, in this match. Lots of flippy stuff. Um Del Sol immediately comes in, not Fuego. I keep uh, if I say Fuego, please tell me because my brain hears Del Sol and I want to say Fuego Del Sol in all Don't this. Prove Vince right. I know exactly. Um, he comes in with some wild drop kicks. FTR immediately have to go outside and recover. Uh, they come back in again, more flippy bollocks going on. Uh, springboard dives to the outside, takes them down as we go to a break. When we come back, 
uh, Aerostar faints on a dive on the inside, instead dives out uh, to hit Dax Harwood on the floor. Uh, Aerostar hits a reverse diving headbutt. I've never seen one of them before. It was wild. Uh, comes in, uh, tags in Samurai Del Sol. He uh, hits a load of uh, kicks, and then he and Aerostar do a, like a teamwork assist dive uh, to get a two count. They both land Hurricane Rana cradles. They both get near falls off the back of it. Uh, but then Harwood counters a dive, hits a brain buster on Samurai Del Sol on the uh, on the floor. And Aerostar and Wheeler uh, exchange cradles with uh, eventually Cash Wheeler, the cheeky, sneaky little bastard that he is, grabbing the ropes for leverage. They get the pinfall. They retain the tag titles. I wish badly the execution was much better in this mm, match because fair. I really enjoyed how this retrospectively made the uh, the tag team title program ahead of full gear look less rubbish. You have FTR. They concoct a ruse to dethrone the Lucha Bros. Crucially, no one takes it seriously, but the problem is if commentary don't do it, take it seriously, nobody else does. It's all a bit lame. What you have here is a pair of actual luchadors who come back, who, sorry, walk through the forbidden door, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. challenge FTR, who've had a whale of a time, saying, oh, we're living lucha legends. It's like, you know, you're, not, you're a complete um, pair of charlatans, and we're going to, you know, restore the sanctity of Lucha Libre, which you completely destroyed with your frog mask dick about. <laughs> and then they have to narrowly squeak by this politically, this new team, but of also they've just entered a domain that they've are total frauds at. Mm-hmm. So the idea is the Lucha Brothers are going to beat them in a really great match, but in convincing fashion to expose FTR as total frauds in this new do- domain that they are arrogant enough to think they can excel at. I like all of the story way more than I did when I first clasped eyes on the uh, the Super Runners. Mm-hmm. Right, Aerostar in this match just took me out of it completely. The sequences with Samurai Del Sol were great. Like FTR positioned themselves fabulously, fed fabulously for Del Sol's offense. Um, his actual work, not necessarily his conduct, his actual work looked really exciting and FTR was in the perfect place to make it look really cool. There were moments when Aerostar, I don't know if he's just knocked himself loopy from an early dive attempt or if he's just simply not AEW standard or what, but there were moments when he could see FTR who were in the right position themselves yeah. because they could see him, um, they could see Aerostar get to the turnbuckle. So FTR are approaching it together to take some kind of ridiculous double team awesome lucha move. And then, God damn it, Aerostar took about five minutes to actually get up the turnbuckle and they're just staggering around like zombies looking like tits. My investment, my immersion in the match is totally broken. I'm taken out of it and... Yeah, I just think he was completely on a separate page. Yeah, there was definitely a point I remember. I think it was Dax Harwood. He sort of, they come together and it's almost like he goes, beat, hit me then, sort of thing. Yeah. It was so, they just didn't gel uh, with Aerostar, FTR. And like you say, FTR do seem to know where to be at the right time. So you've got to kind of pin this on, on Aerostar. I mean, yeah, I don't want to like bury the guy, but they were in the, like, they, they, Worked really well with Del Sol, and they worked like a glaring, just very revealing match when Aerostar was in the ring, unfortunately for him, because, yeah, I wouldn't book him again. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Backstage, uh, we uh, see a clip from... Last week, with Hikaru Shida being given her 50-win trophy, celebrating that with Tony Schiavone. Uh, first AW woman to, to accomplish that, and it's interrupted. Oh, another interrupted friggin' interview. By Nyla Rose and Vicky Guerrero. Uh, Nyla Rose effectively saying that Shida's run into a roadblock, and she's going to murk her when they meet in this TBS title tournament, which is, I mean, a fair assessment, I suppose. I thought Nyla Rose's verbal performance is really strong. Yes. I'll put that over. I'm sick of this interrupted interview. What a rubbish, like, totally cheap device. Again, I will give you the uh, the description I'm going to... I used on the Rampage review when I was actually putting a really great subversion of this trope over. If you take the roof off the arena and look down upon it with a bird's eye view, you can just see the broadcasters getting in position, like a stagehand saying, okay, it's your interview time, come on. You see these people lurking around the corridors, ready to interrupt it. What a wacky landscape it is. By all means, do this. It's a traditional American TV wrestling device to, like, further conflicts. Like, make it a little bit less wacky and contrived by simply conducting some interviews that do not get interrupted, and they can be promos. Exactly. Like, if you just had at least... Even if half of them got interrupted, as opposed to all of them, I might be less annoyed by how often it happens. It just half an hour earlier, maybe, maybe an hour earlier on this show, we got one with the with the books and stuff like yeah. yeah, Just every friggin' time, like it's just wacky, um, fake. There's a lot of times where I just thought I'm watching something fake here. Yes, in this universe, is so usually nicely curated and preserved that when I just see. Like, hollow plot devices play out. I just get pissed off with it. 
I'm, I expect better of them as well. Yeah, do better with yeah. these sorts of things. I completely agree. Uh, right, the inner circle came out, which was great news for me because I was running a little bit behind. So a bit like when Roman Reigns makes an entrance on SmackDown, I go, cool, so we've got two minutes of Judas that I can skip. Uh, anyway, they get on the mics uh, and explain again that Sammy Guevara defeated Ethan Page last week. He retained the TNT Championship and all the other bollocks stipulations went away. And that means they get to choose who partners with them any year, which people from American Top Team uh, join them in that five-on-five match at full gear of course they're immediately interrupted by Dan Lambert he wants to leave this stained city as quickly as possible let's get this over and done with he's flanked by all the usual lot from American top team Uh, Jericho calls them an ugly collection of dumb idiots of course Uh, Lambert against flipping out don't call me that don't chant that usual sort of thing you get from here so he's got the contract in his hand uh, for them to pick the three members of American top team. He hands it to Aubrey, who takes it to Jericho. Uh, he tells Jericho to pull up a table for four and a high chair for Sammy. Uh, and he introduces the uh, menu, as he described it, for four gear. He put everyone over you. Your juniors, Dos Santos, your uh, Andre Olovskis, all, yeah, all the people that we've seen a lot. And then, uh, yeah, it's over to Inner Circle to, to make their selections. <laughs> now, there's a crap line in here. But, but I'm going to give it a pass because it feels like Pat and Jake Hager would actually come out with. Jake Hager, he picks Junior Dos Santos, and he says, you look like Popeye, right? Junior Dos Santos goes, what? <laughs> it even goes full. And it's like... I wanted to die when he said that. But I thought... Yeah, that's that's what Hager would say in like a war of words. Well, that's because he's got crap hair. Yeah, exactly. Does excuse putting it on telly? Uh, yeah, I suppose. Um... Uh, but he says he's going to drop him faster than his last fight, which he lost in 71 seconds. Um, Santana, his partner arguably was worth, I expect more from Santana. Uh, he calls out Andre Olovsky, who, if those are unaware, is nicknamed the Pitbull. Uh, and he says he's hope it's not because of those pointy teeth he wears. He has pointy teeth on his uh, gum shield whenever he fights, uh, in case you're wondering. And uh, he says... What happens when you know you fight when in a you're in a fight with no rules or regulations? If you want someone to bite, bite this sort of thing. And I thought, did you miss the bit where Dan Lambert said he's got the most wins in UFC heavyweight division history? Hey, anyway, um, so before they can pick their final person, uh, Lambert again interrupts and talks about how Jericho insulted Paige Van Zant. She wants this final spot. She takes the mic. She says, write my name down, because on November 13th, my schedule is wide open. There isn't an Instagram filter out there to hide this beating I'm going to give you. None of you have got the balls to take me on. Uh, If you're looking at your trousers, that's what I can see. I can handle all five of you by myself. And Jericho goes, oh, you want to take on all five of us by yourself? That joke writes itself. Maybe you can put it on your OnlyFans page. And as if, if they haven't already gone a bit far in this, it's not even gone a bit far, just crap patter, basically. Ortiz says some Spanish, and Sammy Guevara goes, you're a bitch. Anyway, Jericho finally gets to the point of, Wish someone had called this weeks ago. Dan Lambert is the final member they have selected. At the beginning, Dan Lambert came out and said he was the number one member of American Top Team. Again, Lambert just freaks out. That's not what I meant, blah, blah, blah. But yes, he is uh, He is going to be the fifth member of this five-on-five fight. I called this a while back, so I was very happy to be, again, I've never got a prediction wrong, proven right. 
But you and I have both said, oh, it's Paige Van Zandt, lads. And I know it's it's a bit like, hey, guys, the casual homophobia is gone, but instead we get this. Objectively, this is very strong, popular storytelling that has delighted its base. You've had Dan Lambert bury this company, which works so well because the AEW fans are incredibly invested in it since July. And he's just done it over and over and over again. The reactions towards him are getting louder and louder and louder. And by November, those fans are going to see Dan Lambert eat five finishes at the end of a really probably entertaining street fight that I didn't have reservations about until I watched this episode of Dynamite because the trios match they had on Rampage about two weeks ago was so much fun. But where the hell's Jorge Masvidal? They've suddenly just removed him from the mix very Mm. quickly, despite the fact that he was teased as the final boss almost of American top team. He must be busy because Olofsky, I know he's been in the ring, but he's not done anything physical. Something must have happened with Masvidal. Either he's suddenly become busy or he's decided not to do it because that was very much the intended direction. So if he's been training and Olofsky's just been, oh, well, I'll just stand there, he's going to have to get trained up pretty sharpish. Yeah, the reason we mention this is because on our preview yesterday... I love Andre Olovsky. I've grown up watching him in the UFC and been terrified of him. But it felt like he was fading into the background a little bit. And you're there counting on your hands going, well, end of the year, JDS makes sense because they've already had him in a ring. I was always said Dan Lambert's going to be one. You wouldn't also pick Olovsky and Jorge Masvidal. That's like the three best fighters that have been exposed to these fans. So you've got to lose one. The only thing I can assume is... The UFC have maybe suggested, because there's a huge fight in Jorge's division this weekend uh, for the title with Kamar Usman, Colby Covington too. He's probably been told, yeah, you might get to fight the loser of this because he's fought for the title a couple of times, Jorge Masvidal, and they've suddenly had to change direction. But it did feel a bit of a weird swerve. Clearly, he was scheduled for this match, and something's happened. But uh, they can't have another fin- finish to this match at full gear with just, oh, here, Masvidal hits that mad knee of his again. Because it's like, you've done that twice. I mean, they've done that because they wanted to build the Codebreaker counter to it. Yeah, Um, yeah, that was clearly planned. It's not planned anymore. It's not happening anymore. Right. Objectively, very good storytelling. I'm not talking about the promos because I hate them. But in terms of getting an attraction that people are wildly into, and you can see the ending now, and it's what people are going to explode for. Objectively, it's really good and really successful for these fans. Subjectively, I cannot stand it. I'm done with it. And it's not just the, just the, what a couple of, just five dickheads. We've <laughs> been, like, I've been delighted by the real kind of masculinity that we've seen on this very broadcast and over the past couple of days. This is just absolutely retrograde yeah. bollocks stuff. Um, and it's not just, as I said, the casual homophobia that I couldn't stand. There are, there are openly gay people in that locker room. AEW have openly gay and um, non-straight, non-binary fans. Yeah. And they are just getting absolutely mugged off by this boomer. And it's just annoying. It really is annoying. When Paige Van Zandt said, my schedule's wide open, I cringed 
because I was firmly expecting Chris Jericho to say, just like your legs, you slut. Yeah, it's just... And he just said something worse yeah. than the thing I was cringing in anticipation for. Because now, your schedule's wide open just like your legs become... You're going to have to take five cocks between those legs. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, shut your mouth. You know, women watch WWE more than AEW. Women does uh, WWE in the ratings way better with women than AEW mm -hmm. does. And Dave Meltzer speculated, oh, it's because there's so much violence. Because we've seen glass, we've seen lights out matches, we've seen death matches, we've seen Texas death matches. And it's all this bloody violence that are turning the women <laughs> off. Maybe it's because they're not getting represented in this company and they're getting cold slags by one of the top star boomers. Maybe that's got something to do with it, to be fair. I was really pissed off. It's not just on a personal level that this kind of thing isn't for me at all. Strategically stupid. And it's... It, Invisible War bollocks. I've seen enough of that over the past 21 years. Yeah. And it's Chris Jericho's stock and trade doing some patter over an invisible wall. It's like, I hate that. It's one of the reasons why I stopped watching WWE. And the patter's better than in WWE, at least when it's not being completely and utterly divisive, because Chris Jericho writes his own stuff and he's better at it than a room full of writers. But it's still the construct of all of this. It's identical to a WWE segment and it's kind of stuff that I hate. No, I, com I completely agree. It's infuriating this because I was thinking, please stop with the homophobia stuff for all the reasons you just laid out there. And they took that away. They, you know, give with one hand, take away with the other. And they go, all right, we won't do that. You're a slag and a bitch. And it's like, First of all, like you say, it's so basic. And this is Paige Van Zandt. I'm a fan of the UFC, right? So I know a little bit more than maybe the casual fans. You know, if you're more of an AW fan, you don't know about it. She's not a great fighter. She could still hand half the people in that ring their ass with, it, with, with ease. She's a, an MMA fighter, right? So there's that. She's incredibly talented at what she does. <laughs> she... There's also the, the the thing of, so what if she wants to, you know, enjoy a, enjoy a, a healthy sex life? I know she's got a boyfriend, right? But take that, put that to one side. What's the issue if she wants to do that? Why is that, you know, oh, such a bloody bloke is sleeping with all these people, but a woman does it. Ooh, not sure about that. Finally, as you pointed out there, her boyfriend stood next to her, yes? Yes. How many of them were on that stage? There was more than the inner circle. Just go down, and, just go down and kill them. If someone said that about your wife or my wife, I wouldn't go, oh, God damn it. Oh, I wish I could. I'd go, right, lads. I've got JDS. I've got Andre yeah. Olovsky. All right, I've got Dan Lambert and stuff. But I've got a couple of other guys and Paige Van Zandt who can just coy someone in the cock and Instagram it. Like, it was just, yeah, I wasn't a fan of this whatsoever. Invisible Wall absolutely sucks. And uh, another thing, just before we get pelters for burying this segment, people love it. I've told you at the start. Yeah. People love it. And I'll acknowledge that people love it. People might say, Paige Van Zandt, has said, yes, you can say those things about me. Of course yes. she said that. Yeah, of yeah, course yeah. her and Chris Jericho might have developed enough of a rapport for Chris Jericho to say, oh, can I say these things about you? The fans will go wild for this. And she's like, ah, absolutely. Paige Van Sant might not be a feminist, right? There will be feminists watching this. Mm -hmm. There will be women watching this who just think, ah, this isn't for me. This absolutely isn't for me. And guess what? There are quite a few of them because they're not watching this as much as they watch WWE. The demo numbers and the overall viewership obscure the granular data that tells people women on into this product in a certain demographic as they are wwe and look at wwe's treatment of the women's division how bad and how creeping a problem must aew's treatment of women be yeah 
and you didn't need it anyway. You, I get you wanted to address why haven't they picked Paige Van Zandt, but you didn't need it anyway because you're going to go, Swerve, we're not picking Jorge Masvidal, we're picking Dan Lambert. Chris Jericho's 50 years old. Ironically, Chris Jericho is the uh, exact kind of person the advertising industry doesn't really value as a viewer because their belief systems and their product preferences are completely baked in. Chris Jericho is going to Chris Jericho. Tony Khan needs to have a look at this and just say, like, right, maybe you shouldn't say this about this person, and maybe if you stop saying these things, we'll get more women viewers. Mm. And the thing is, I'm I'm really excited. When the when Full Gear comes around and this match comes on, I'll be just for it. If Arlovsky can, because we know Dos Santos can do a job, we, like rubbish punches aside, we know he's game for taking a bump. Um, he can. If Arlovsky can do a job, this should be tremendously yeah. fun on the night. I'm just, I hate it. I man. don't need it. They did it before, remember, they, they did a recap on maybe Rampage, maybe the two-hour Rampage. Leave all this out. Just say, the only line I liked in this was Dan Lambert. My face isn't even that fat. So it is fat, but it's not that fat. Yeah. That was the only funny thing I thought was was acceptable. I talk a lot about the range of this promotion. And maybe, maybe some people do like dumb jock masculine energy in one segment. And I can have my genuinely really cool dude who I can relate with Hangman Page in the main event. Maybe mm. that is me saying, oh, you can't have, I can have the range, but you can't have the range. Mm. But at the same time, it just sort of collides spectacularly with Hangman Page being the heart of this promotion. Mm. And not helped by the fact, like you say, with all the, we'll move on, but with all the yeah. women's stuff, that they go, oh, we can do like a two-minute TBS town title yeah. match in a minute. Anyway, let's move on. Let's talk uh, about backstage, Dante Morton, Leo Rush. They're getting interviewed. Guess what happens? They're interrupted. Well, they're not really interrupted. Matt Seidel's already there, I suppose. Um he says, look, I'm not bothered about you wanting to train with Leo Rush. That's absolutely fair enough. You've got incredible potential there. But there are other people with potential. He's got Lee Moriarty there with him. He's taken him under his wing instead, and he's challenged them to a tag match. Uh, Leo Rush immediately accepts. We are finally getting Leo Rush in the ring. I can't wait. Awesome. I can't wait for this tag team match. I love the storyline development. I like the idea that the older wrestlers and actively enjoy mentoring um, the younger wrestlers. This match should be incredible. Bring it all on. Yeah, really, really excited for that. Uh, then we get the TBS Championship Tournament match between Jamie Hayter and Anna Jay. And props to Michael Sidgwick. He called this to perfection on the preview yesterday. Um, back and forth early on. We go to a break. When we come back, uh, Anna Jay's making her comeback. She gets clothesline. She gets a DDT. She gets a near fall. Locks in the Queen Slayer, but uh, Jamie Hayter manages to flip out of it. Then she puts it back on again. Up jumps Rebel Reba on the apron. That distracts the official. That allows Baker to, to grab uh, Anna Jay's leg, interfere. She turns around. She makes sure that she's got rid of the uh, women's champion, but turns around straight into a lariat from Jamie Hayter that gets her the victory. Post-match, income all the heels to beat her down. Take on, he runs out to make the save, of course, as Sid alluded to on the preview yesterday, reminding us of the Britt Baker take on match going down at full gear. But even then, the numbers advantage is too much until Thunder Rosa runs down to make the save, who, of course, yeah, Jamie Hayter will face in the next round, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, I've got very few thoughts on this match because they barely give us a match. Yeah. It's just... I could have given them 10 minutes. And they could have said, right, Jericho, like, stop talking for three minutes and try and make an actual match worth investing in. This was an afterthought of a match that was pretext to an angle. And the thing is, though, if you look at it, it's always, and this is a cliche, I don't like talking in cliches, but this is the only apt sort of succinct way I can 
think of putting this across. It's always fucking one step forward, two steps back for this division. So what you have here is some genuinely, theoretically, I'm going to put an asterisk next to this one, theoretically deft dovetailing book in here. Because you, um, Tony Khan, puts Hater versus um, Anna Jane a bracket. They are each associates, respectively, of Britt Baker and Ty Conti, who are having a pay-per-view match. I said yesterday in the preview, I like how this is all going to interact with itself. It's just really quite nice and cute. There's an additional wrinkle with Thunder Rosa being the opponent that Jamie Hayes is going to face, and you constantly remind people in the process of booking that match of the Thunder Rosa versus Britt Baker conflict. There's some genuinely well-thought-out detail getting applied to the bracket, how it corresponds with the title picture. It feels like a division. It feels like it's a division with depth, future direction, like baked in, believable stakes. They give the match five minutes. <laughs> yeah. And they engineer it in such a way that makes, indirectly, mind you, but it makes Ty Conti look like a dick. Why aren't you out there supporting your mate? Why you've, or either. You know what's going to happen. Either someone who's careless or someone who's an idiot, or someone who's not particularly nice. Go with your pal. I know Ty Conti would. Spend their, all their living time together. Yeah. Um, corny it, mate, because you know she's going to get beaten up after the match, whether she wins or loses. She looks instead like a grandstanding hero coming out at the last second, and an idiot for not thinking that things would go well for her friend with three heels in the ring. Like, you've done the hard work. Don't make people look like dickheads. Like uh, uh, this, ep- I cannot believe the Raves this episode. God, there were so many like really poor, like manufactured moments. Surface level, isn't it? That's the thing. I think that's what we're, we're talking about here. On the surface, people go, "Look at that! What great huge pop for take on it to make the save." But then you go, "Wait a second, Because we analyze this product far more than yeah. we would, uh, or anyone considers for you know a Monday Night Raw, for example." But yeah, you're going to fight. And, and and I know that the person you're fighting's got two mates, one of whom, Rebel Reba, I think jumps up on the apron on every match that happens. Yeah. Now I get it; it's a you know, like you say, it's a tool to use to to help the the, the, the conclusions of this match. So if I know that beforehand, now why doesn't Ty Conti? Yeah, it's a fair assessment, mate. Uh, we get a little promo from the person who's probably going to win the TBS title tournament, uh, or I hope so. My pick, Jade Cargill. Uh, she says she's going to make all this short and sweet. Um, when she faces whoever she faces, uh, because there's a match coming up with the bunny and red velvet in her corner of the bracket, of course, and she's going to rename the belt That Bitch Show. That bitch of straps right there. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, so MJF comes out. Here's a lesson in how you do a promo, Chris. Um, Darby Allen has been shown uh, earlier on in the show, watching, brooding in the crowd. Uh, and he talks about, you know, Reference the fact that they're one of two of the four pillars, I should say, uh, of AEW. And they, they didn't worry about all these new names coming in and taking their spot or anything like that. Because without the two of them, AEW does not work. They are better than the other pillars. And it drives everyone crazy. Speaking of things that drive people crazy, he's confused as to why people like Darby Allen more than him. Why do they cheer for Darby and boo him? And then he, he realized why that was. It had been keeping him up at night. He, because... MJF is the one person people hate because, well, he's just better. And Darby Allen, he lives life with this reckless abandonment. He can never fit in. 
And that's why people like him, because he's just like you people. He's one of you, a, a miscast, a misfit, an outcast, an incel who can barely string together four words. He isn't too cool for school. He's just not good enough to be normal, a normal functioning member of society. We love Darby Allen because he's just like us. We'll never fit in. Guess what? We'll never win either. He says, right now, yeah, Darby might be cool. He might be brooding. But once he steps into the ring, he lets his emotions get the better of him. He goes from a proficient pro wrestler to a glorified stuntman. At full gear, he's going to lose because he is weak mentally. He'll be too concerned with beating up MJF, basically. Uh, Ronnie should be concerned with just beating him. Uh, and at full gear, Darby is going to lose because MJF is better than Darby. And Darby knows it. And one more thing, if Darby does manage to change his ways within 10 days, if he manages to take his emotions out of it, it still won't matter because he's not as good a wrestler as MJF. Um, no one else is as good as he is on the mic and in the ring. It's one or the other, basically, he says. He breaks the mold. Uh, he's so much better in the ring, he could beat Darby with a freaking headlock takeover. Darby responds by saying, you know what? I am everything you've just said. Uh, I'm not sure you not sure you realize what you've said there, Darby. But okay, fine. We'll gloss over that. But he isn't going to attack him with his skateboard. He's not going to get emotional at full gear. We're going to have a wrestling match because, well, I'm going to let my anger out right now. And he comes down through the crowd. But MGF, he's smarter than the average bear. He goes, peace out. See you later. Goes to walk up the ramp. But who should come out but Sting and a load of people with face masks on, uh, dressed like him. And Wardlow and Sean Spears, they start having a big brawl at the top of the ramp with all those. You don't really see that because we are focusing on MJF and Darby Allen who are fighting in the stands. MJF sort of gets the better of it, but then as he goes to hoy him into a barricade to head back towards the ring, Darby Allen reverses, and then there's this shot of him just looking insane, basically, as he sets up to hit a ridiculous full-speed clothesline over the barricade to the ringside area. He uh, throws MJF in the ring. He goes for a coffin drop, but before he can hit it, uh, MJF rolls out and Darby Allen stands tall. What do you make of this as a build towards this match for full gear? Yeah, I mean, one of the highlights of the show, again, MJF's virtually untouchable on the microphone. So that was very good. Another very good promo. Darby Allen just had of specified... Some of the insults. <laughs> yes. Not only would he not have looked like a tit that he did, um, but he also would have like reaffirmed the audience's belief and relationship with him. If he had just yet, yes, I am a misfit. I am an outcast, but then you know, non incel. <laughs> yes, I am an incel. Like ah, uh, there that made him look like an idiot. That was basically the one wonky bit of an otherwise great presentation. Lovely marriage of um, an angle promo, Darby Allen recognizing that the invisible wall isn't in fact there. You can just simply beat someone up who says something nasty about you. And MGF can also recognize that the wall isn't invisible. He can recognize that Darby Allen can in fact respond to the horrible things he says. He can retreat. This is all really nicely considered. Um, this is my biggest mark take ever on AEW. Like, they somehow managed to do something genuinely, like, iconic every week. How is that possible? The only moment of this week that touched that very lofty bit of praise was the um, parting of the crowd. Mm. That was genuinely, like, a really cool... Nice shot as well, wasn't it? Really yeah. lovely shot. 
really great um, evidence of Darby Allen's command of the audience. Like a really cool idea to do. Um, it also facilitates like an incredible bump that hints at how cool the match is going to be. That dynamic of this like arsehole heel getting his comeuppance in like a really cool and distinct way that only Darby Allen can do. This is all great. Everything else on the show was questionable. Yeah, and I just love the fact that MJF can lean on the fact that technically, look at the records he's lost. He hasn't really lost by the book, has he ever, really? And again, it's a match. All of this functions to build a match that you can't predict. No. There are at least two um, matches on this show that I just, I've got no idea who's going to win at full gear. So that's um, underscores how well it's been promoted, even though I was a bit hot for all out, if I'm being perfectly yeah. honest. What I do like is the fact that if people, and they will, and I know bad faith, what do you call them? What, e bad drones, faith actors. E drones. E drones. They turn around and go, you're welcome from WWE, Brian Danielson versus Miro in the final of the tournament. You go, yeah, but we've got Darby Allen, MJF, which uh, arguably is going to be possibly even a better match. And Kenny Omega versus Hangman Page on this show. Uh, welcome for Ring of Honor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> Brian Danielson was one of the best wrestlers in the entire world and indeed of all time. Just do Ring of Honor alone, so... Ridiculous. I hate them. Good. I hate them too. But they're, you know what? They're mentally unwell. Yeah. I feel like I'm punching down. Um, intrigued to know about your thoughts about this next match. Cody Rhodes versus Andrade El Idolo. Um, the match starts with Andrade just slapping the taste out of Cody's uh, mouth. They go back and forth. Uh, they both got answers to, to to big moves from each other. I did like the bit where Cody uh, gets thrown into the turnbuckle, flips to the outside, and then he's when he's there, Andrade's almost already there waiting for him for that rope escape thing. Um, Cody takes control. Uh, as Andrade comes off the top, he hits him with a brilliant drop kick. Um, but then Andrade reverses the disaster kick by pushing Cody out to the floor. They get to commercial. When we come back, Cody hits a power slam, fires up. I'll say gets mixed reaction uh, from the crowd. But Andrade then fights back. Uh, he fights out of that double underhook, hits uh, my favorite, what can only be described, I suppose, as a transitional move in that back elbow oh, that he it's does. Awesome! It's so good. It's it's so good. It puts the Judas effect to shame, and it's just a. I keep going. It's like a vicious back elbow. Uh, it looks amazing. Uh, so anyway, uh, Cody goes for the three. Uh, goes for the three amigos. Cody goes for the crossroads, and Andrade counters it into the three amigo suplexes. On the third one, as the crowd are chanting for Eddie, Cody tries to block it and just ends up getting suplexed into the goddamn turnbuckle. As a result of that, Andrade goes for the split leg and moonsault, but Cody gets out of the way. Andrade somehow manages to land on his feet doing that. He defies logic sometimes, that boy. Uh, and then Cody responds with the old flip-flop and fly, nails him, puts him down, goes for the figure four, but Andrade counters it and puts one on himself. Um, Cody flips over, reverses the uh, pressure on his knees, so he has to, Andrade has to go to the, to the ropes. Andrade rolls to the outside, selling. Cody goes for a huge dive, but gets caught. Uh, you know, he, Andrade's helper just grabs his leg. So, it's, so Arn Anderson decides to get involved, takes him out. And as Cody does go for the dive, and the referee's distracted with FTR beating up, uh, is it Jose, the translator, or whatever he is? Um, up pop FTR from out of nowhere. They twat Cody uh, with their belts as he goes for the dive, and Andrade brings it back in. Hammerlock DDT. One, two, three, post-match, income FTR, in comes Tully. Uh, they beat, beat up Cody. They hold him up for a big 
manoeuvre from, from Andrade, but in comes Arn Anderson, just shoves Tolly. There's a face-off. The place goes crazy. And out come the Lucha Bros to uh, brawl with FTR. It looks like they are going to hit their finisher on Dax, but Cash Wheeler in... I mean, perfection in terms of timing. Just slides in and grabs and pulls his mate out there to make the save uh, as the rest of them stand tall. Your thoughts on all of this? I've got a very pedantic take on the very end of the angle, which was really hot, really well received. It's about time that FTR decided to just kick Cody's head in or do something that would allow him to get his head kicked in or pound it to the mat or whatever because Cody Rhodes is the guy who kept saying the revival mm-hmm. like realistically and I know you have to do certain things first they should have targeted Cody Rhodes a long time ago um, but that's by the by before I talk about what I loved about all of this which was the vast majority I realised the push for time and certain things just have to end at a certain point but this in general is such a quality of everything feels a little bit rushed and overwhelming on dynamite too often. And and again, this is such a nerdy thing of me to say, so maybe it's a really specific subjective take. I love the idea, mostly with, you know, everything announced in advance, like, um, so every match is announced in advance. They do little touches, like Justin Roberts saying TV time remaining. I love the idea this is meant to be a broadcast. When I get too many instances that, no, it's just a show, and they're not doing anything to obscure it. It's just a show. It pisses me off. The Lucha Bros FTR brawl at the very end of all of this looked really wonky. And the second, the second that the FTR took a powder, right, Lucha Bros music, it's just like, you couldn't make it any more obvious that mm. this is just a show where you have to hit your timing cues and not a broadcast. <laughs> this match, I thought, was really hot. Yeah. I think one of the reasons why I was low on this dynamite is that usually there's like an absolutely incredible match every single week. I wouldn't describe this as an incredible match. I thought it was really, really good. Like really, I, I really, really enjoyed really it, good. yeah. Um, didn't quite hit that four-star level, but for what we got, I thought some of this was excellent. Like the idea of like, like watching a strategy unfold. I watch, I like watching an improvised strategy unfold in the middle of the match. I like watching a counter to that improvised strategy with the three amigos spot. I thought they worked that fabulously. Um, Andrade's back. I feel like I'm secure yeah. in finally saying that, like, the spot where Cody reversed a move and he just got joined on the apron. Like, Andrade looked like he teleported. He looked so rapid. And if you combine that old um, explosion that he used to have with this beautiful body that he's got now, he's finally nailed it. He feels like a star again. Um, so that was cool. Like, just a really nicely laid out match where Cody looked really smart with his various trying to counter things. Um, Andrade looked like a superhuman in that ring. Um, that tag match at full gear could steal the hell out of that undercard if people aren't careful. Because I'm worried about FTR versus Lucha Brothers on the back of Fight for the Fallen. I think this match could steal the hell out of that undercard. I agree, yeah. Uh, really enjoyed this match. Issues, like you say, with the, the post-match. Match itself, though. Really, really woke me up and, and, and was one of the highlights of the show. Got to agree with this. The rest of the post-match was great. FTR's timing was sensational. The Tully on stuff was great. It just all felt a bit like a show was happening yeah, rather than fair. a broadcast at the end. I'm a nerd. John Silver is in the ring uh, to sell his match with Adam Cole going down on Rampage this week. He's joined by Tony Schiavone. He said, but I'm not facing Adam Cole. I'm facing Budge. 
And like half the crowd knew what he was going on yeah. about here. It's weird, this. Uh, he said, look, he's given Cole lots of advice, but Cole hasn't taken it. Maybe if he'd listened, he wouldn't have taken a concerto earlier on. Uh, regardless of all this, he's mad about it. And this Friday, he's going to kick some budge ass. Uh, yeah, it's one of those things where it was a nice touch, this, but I also felt like, oh, if you don't watch everything that AW puts out, you have no idea what's going on here. For those who don't, a bit of lore of the budge. Yeah. Budge is John Silver's um, new name for Adam Cole because that was teased as being Adam Cole's direction had he stayed in that company, i.e. WWE. They've basically done a 30-second bit of exposition of a quite well-received BTE bit. A bit pointless, all of this. Mm. Like, all a bit almost completely pointless because what they've done is this isn't going to get over if you haven't seen it in 30 seconds. And those who do follow BTE know the bit and don't really want it, like, barked in their faces. Like, a waste of time. A waste of time. Didn't, it didn't serve anybody. No. Uh, video promo for Bunny versus Red Velvet. Uh, Bunny says she'll do whatever it takes, even if that means becoming a villain. Been paying attention, I think you already are a villain, but anyway, tell about the facial expressions you do all the time. <laughs> and Red Velvet says, I've beaten you once, I'll beat your ass again, basically. And then we get the main event it is uh, the world championship eliminator. I shouldn't be nasty to the bunny, I think she's really acquitted herself well in this mid card heel gatekeeper role. You could draw the Roma Reigns, so indeed, oh. that tweet it. Don't do it because it's just going to, oh, why bother? Uh, anyway, uh, Brian Danielson, of course, joins commentary. Nice to see him up there uh, watching two men beat the crap out of each other for the right to face him at full gear. As I mentioned, Miro replaces John Moxley in this match against Orange Cassidy. Uh, Orange still got taped up ribs. I like the fact that they went back and explained this as well with footage of him going through a goddamn table versus Matt Hardy in that wild ladder match and then uh, Powerhouse Hobbs targeting them with that torture wrap uh, weeks prior. He's going to do his hands in their po pocket spot. Not a good idea against Miro, but he manages to do it, dodges out of the way, sort of riling him up, trying to make him make a mistake effectively. Uh, and he does. He sends Miro eventually to the outside. Uh, he dives back in, goes to hit a toe back. Mira just catches him, and that's like, it was in this moment he knew he up because he just gets suplexed on the outside, um, and he batters him around ringside, and in the ring, he's just stomping on him as we're in picture in picture. We come back, and Orange fires up, uh, right hand shotgun drop kick, hits that float over DDT. Again, they emphasize the next stuff. Jesus, there's going to be a lot of next stuff at full gear between these two. Uh, when I mean Orange Cassidy, uh, no, Orange Cassidy, Miro and, and Brian Danielson. Um, Miro's shaken up by all this, gets out to the floor to get out of the Orange Punch, so Orange jumps up on the ropes and uh, sends Miro through a bloody table with a diving elbow as they're both there saying, uh, selling, sorry, we see a shot of Matt Hardy who's just fuming watching and Orange Cassidy just pops a little thumbs up to him. He rolls back into the ring and Miro just gets in before the 10 count. He counters the orange punch. Looks like he's got this match in control, but then orange rolls out and hits a beach break for a great near fall, I thought. So, the, so fluid. The way, like, they, the counter. I just didn't expect to see it. No. Yeah, it was awesome. I thought, like, okay, missed orange punch, kick. But instead, he hits a beach break, gets a great near fall. Then Miro hits that huge leaping kick. Game over. Obviously, he's got injured ribs. Immediate submission. From Orange Cassidy, Miro advances to face Brian Danielson and they have a nice face-off to close 
the show. I thought this was excellent. One of the best sub ten minute matches you're likely to see on television in 2021. Miro's just great. I and mean, if you consider like the the opposite ends of what he does, he at various points has to look like the biggest killer, the hardest killer in the world, and then he has to look like he's about to get beaten. He's like, got that glowing red spot when you face a baddie in a computer game. Yeah. Like, just go for the neck. Yeah. But if you don't go for the neck, he'll kill you. <laughs> the fact that he has to cycle through those modes across, what, seven minutes yeah. this got? Like, what an incredible performer he is. What a great TV wrestler. And to your point again, sorry, just to interrupt, they said if this match interrupts the hockey, or I think it was ice hockey, so be it. Like yeah. TV, it's not. It wasn't. It was. It was sort of TV time already. But we'll stick with it for as long as it if needs it, to. Never done that once, and they always make me think. Oh, go on then. Even though I can, that's bollocks, I can see the fight duration. So watch it on demand. But it's a nice consideration. Yeah, 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 yeah. Regardless, no lovely compact little match that somehow contrived to show the range of the Miro character within such a compact time frame. Everything, the beats of it, was so great. The drama existed. You knew as soon as you saw the match graphic, Miro versus Danielson. They're not going to beat Miro. They might do it at full gear. I've got any idea, but they're not going to... They'd have anyone. They'd have like, oh, 10 gets a chance if Casti was going over. You knew that Casti wasn't going over. But again, the magic of an AEW TV match is that if it's so good, and it often so is, then you think the outcome's in doubt. Uh, I thought it was just tremendous for what it was. Not like going to win any match of the year awards, but it wasn't pitched for that purpose. Um. Yeah, really enjoyed this. Just love Miro picking. Mm. This is in picture and picture. So I don't know if the Yanks saw it, but um, in picture and picture, he's picking him up by the uh, bandages. One last thing, like New Japan, through some of its own making, but some just the most rotten look possible. Like, don't kick them when they're down. Don't make the count out spots better than even they do it because <laughs> between Danielson and Miro Daniel, I'm trying to remember who the other one was recently yeah, between yeah. Danielson and Miro on Rampage the last Rampage and the last Dynamite I'm thinking come on don't take away one of the things that New Japan does better yeah, than them they have to have something left don't better their count out spots for Christ's sakes those last two were awesome uh, yeah, and I just I really enjoyed this, like you said, for for the main event. Uh, a really great miniature story being told. If you're a casual, very very casual AW fan, you didn't know anything about these two. You knew everything you needed to within whatever it was eight minutes that we got for this main event. And watching this, I've already fantasy booked a great spot for their match at Full Gear. But to hear that, you have to check out our Full Gear preview, which I assume, barring any. <laughs> problems is coming next weekend ahead of full gear so there you go let us know your thoughts on dynamite this week though on twitter at what culture wwe watch so you can follow both of us you can follow michael sidgwick at m sidgwick whatculture.bigcartel.com to get your pre-ordered copy of his book all about aw as well you can follow me on twitter at adam wilborn follow us all at whatculturewwe uh, but this has been the dynamite review my thanks to michael sidgwick thank you for joining us and we will see you soon Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.